Hello, hello, kids, and welcome to another episode. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I'm your resident spooky smartass, Sam Baxter. And I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting more ornate. Is it? Yeah. More Aguilera-ish. Uh, you're welcome. No, there'd be more growl now. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> And, and this, this is, is my, my spooky, spooky gay, gay family. family. Sam Baxter. Hello, Pissy Miles. Hello, Barbarella. Hello, Pissy Miles. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, kids, and welcome back. Uh, we are very excited. Today we have a, a very, very special guest with us. It is yet another Bobcast. <laughs> I'm back, whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> like herpes. Um, Bob is joining us today, and uh, we have a really fun conversation. But before we get too far into it, how are you, Bob? I'm good. Um, we just, we just wrapped up recording the micro mini episode. What is it? The mini micro? <laughs> <laughs> I was having a stroke. <laughs> small toast. We <laughs> just finished making a, a mark in the menu. <laughs> Let go to head it and have it. Have it. It's been God. a very heavy, heavy Darrison. Turn into Miss Teen South Carolina for a second. I personally believe. <laughs> How are you, Sam Baxter? I'm doing fine. I'm here. <laughs> I spent all day reading about our subject for today, so I'm a little <laughs> on edge. Yeah. I'm a... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the subject today is kind of a a, a gruesome one, but uh, it's first of all, it's relevant because the the new docu series just came out, but it's also uh, obviously one that piques a lot of people's interest just because of the insane details of the story. But um, I'm doing okay. I, I was talking about in the minisode earlier that, you know, hopefully this week all of my car troubles are coming to an end. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> this time tomorrow I will, uh, you know, knock on wood, I will have a new car. And I'm very excited. I haven't bought a new car in years. so uh, And I've never bought one that was new. So... <laughs> This is very exciting to me. I mean, it certainly sounds exciting. I've I've never had the pleasure of buying a new car. Is yours used? Yes. But yours is a nice car. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Try to sound more excited for it. It's a a sedan. Like, I don't know how to sound excited. I mean, the car I want is a sedan. I don't like big cars. I don't like those, like, big boxy SUVs. David has a Nissan Cube. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like driving a toaster. It really is. It's, cra- it's a, a, not even a toaster. It's like driving a refrigerator. It's like <laughs> a refrigerator with wheels and headlights and windshield wipers that don't work. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not. I I, I, I yeah. hate his. He loves it because it's this like weird little box car, and uh, yeah. I hate it. I hate that car. And I've been driving it now for like six months, and I I cannot wait to be done with it. Yeah, don't blame me. That's not. 
Are you asleep? What happened? No. <laughs> Since we started this, I don't know what it is. Oh my god, I'll I'll be I'll, I'll be fine. Bob checked out. <laughs> he was like, here's my key. Yeah, I don't know. What I it left is. a tip on the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Do some jumping jacks. Uh, what happened? I don't know. Oh my god, it's like I'm here, but my brain went somewhere else for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's not an uncommon occurrence it's in your really life. No. <laughs> Whenever uh, it, the the two times in my life that I've had like very good edibles. <laughs> <laughs> everybody around me was probably super annoyed with me because i'm the type of person who like just checks out but it'll be like for three seconds but in my mind i was gone for like 15 minutes to like another dimension so like i'll always look at people be like i'm so sorry you've probably been talking to me for so long but i really have been gone for like 15 minutes and like no we've been no you were just talking to me like two seconds ago <laughs> so kind of having one of those moments i remember the <laughs> first time i had like a stereotypical pot moment was when I was in high school, I was at a friend's house and we uh, had a little salad and <laughs> <laughs> made of the devil's lettuce. And uh, we were watching that movie, The Warriors. It's <laughs> a bad one to watch. It, But you know what? It was kind of great because I was like laying on the couch and I was like, oh my God. The music is all around me. Like <laughs> it, it was like the. It really was like the music was yeah. like all around. It was like I was in a, a wave of music. It was probably like the most stereotypical <clears throat> pothead moment I've ever had in my life. That or the first time I got stoned when uh, I smoked half a blunt by myself. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, I don't feel anything. Do you have bread? <laughs> <laughs> And I went into my friend's house and I ate like an entire loaf of just like cinnamon swirl bread. Yeah, diabetic. So, uh, <laughs> are you are you uh, feeling a little a little woozy tonight? No, I don't know what it, I think. I just was. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't even love like words right now. <laughs> I wish I had an edible so I'd have a reason. <laughs> I'll be okay. Perfect time. I was like, you- and record. Yeah, and Bob I- was like, no words, great. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were just having, like, full-on conversations, like, ten minutes ago. Not even, like, ten seconds ago. And then I pressed record, and Bob was like, all the way. Oh, my God. I don't know what it is. Do you need, like, a cup of coffee, or are you going to make No, I'm, I'm, like, awake. It's just, like, my brain is just like, bye, girl, I need a vacation. <laughs> You're, you're like Fozzie's grandmother. <laughs> ah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> welcome to the episode, kids. I think we should probably just dive right in since Bob is going to bed. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, a crazy subject today. We have We normally save our true crime episodes for Thanksgiving. I don't really know why yeah i'm not really sure why it, it because we started with a lot of like cannibalistic murders so it was like kind of a tongue-in-cheek nod to the holiday <laughs> <laughs> but um we are going to break from tradition and do a true crime episode for you today we're going to be talking about uh a really kind of just bizarre insane like almost unfathomable uh serial killer and and 
obviously the people who were affected by him. Um, he is commonly known as the Night Stalker, although he did have a few other <laughs> names. The not, the not scary names. <laughs> the not scary names. What was he? The, the he was walk-in the walk-in killer. killer. That was yeah. my favorite one. Bob was like, what is he, a closet? <laughs> it felt like somebody's like dad named him. You know what I mean? Like, it was just not scary. Like, and like you're trying, especially because it was like the news who came up with his names. So you're kind of thinking they're going to try and do something that's like a little bit more like ratings grabber. And they're like, we've got the walk-in killer and the valley intruder. That was the other one. The valley intruder, because he was yeah. uh, he was active in, in the Los yes. Angeles area and yeah. in the valley. Um, we are, of course, talking about the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. And uh, this was kind of brought on because Netflix just put out a, a short docuseries. I think it's four or, or six episodes. I can't remember exactly how many. But um, mm-hmm. they just released a new docuseries called Night Stalker. I watched it. Did you watch it? I did. Did you like it? I did like it. It was very good. I really enjoyed it. I know you started it, but you weren't impressed by it. I just I just wasn't feeling it. How come? Really? I, I really honestly can't even put my finger on it. I think it was... I think, honestly, it was just... It felt like it was giving the police a lot of credit. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because they mostly interviewed the police who did yeah. it. But yeah, I remember feeling when I was watching it, like the whole time, like they kept talking about like, oh, we just need like a little bit more evidence. We just need like one more murder. And I was like, you guys could have probably done a better job with this. <laughs> like, And there was a part of me that was like, there had to have been something because he had a criminal record before yeah. this. And he wasn't particularly careful. No. He he is not the um, he is not really the careful type, Mister. No, <laughs> no, and that's what struck a me as taker. Yeah, he he definitely spent a little time in Atlantic City. <laughs> um, there had to have been fingerprints or something because obviously, famously, the the thing that really kind of cued them into catching him was the shoe print. Yeah. But I was like, that can't be the only evidence this guy left behind. Granted, it was 1985, 84, 85. So it's like, we didn't have DNA, uh, you know, hair analysis was still very, like, primitive. It was, you know, analyzing the fibers and and things like that and not really, not the DNA aspect of hair analysis. So, I mean, we can't. In my mind, I sit there saying, you know, we can't be too critical because it the same resources were not available. But at the same time, it's like the guy was walking around. He didn't have gloves on. He, I don't even think he wore a fucking mask. No. Uh, no. And, yeah. <clears throat> and nobody no, could like, catch him. They had like 10 or 12 witnesses all giving the same description of him. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of his attacks left somebody alive. Yeah. No. Like, he, so there were a lot of survivors and they all described him exactly the same way yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there were police sketches and all kinds of things that's actually something i'd like to and i know it's kind of a strange place to start but why don't we why don't we start at the very beginning um <laughs> obviously we all have feelings about the way that the case was handled mm-hmm. um do you think that the police deserve the credit that they got from this docu series. 
I want to make it clear that I don't think that the police don't deserve any credit. They are, in fact, responsible for catching him, if not capturing him, which is a fun little story we'll, well get to later. Well, partially, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they didn't even capture his yeah. ass. <laughs> I said, if not capturing. If not. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. I just, the 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 two of them talking. <laughs> just, I know. It, it was a little, like. Okay, I don't really give a shit that you really looked up to this guy for three years before you started working with him. Like, I just don't care. You mean uh, uh, the one officer yeah. looking at the other officer? Yeah. Um, not Richard. Oh, God, I can't remember names. his name, but the older officer's name is Salerno. Um, I'm really fuzzy on all the names in this yeah, case, so but, um, uh, that's going to be a... <laughs> that's gonna be a no, no for me doc <laughs> no i just um the docuseries kind of felt like a victory lap for the cops for me mm-hmm. and i didn't really like the vibe i was getting off of it hmm. um, i mean that's fair that's a fair criticism but like i said like it's it's not that the lapd had nothing to do with catching him so it's like yeah it's it, like credit it, where credit is due it kind of felt like because like recently they like um like awarded or something like the cops from the jeffrey dahmer case but they were the same cops who like gave the one victim the, back. yeah, yeah and i was like i was like i mean yeah i guess if you want to talk about the fact that like eventually they caught him like yeah you did great <laughs> yeah it's so, like you know but like but even in the case <clears throat> of richard they never even catch him no so it's like you know <laughs> <laughs> two elderly three, women three little <laughs> mexican ladies yeah, caught richard yeah, ramirez i know <laughs> and, and an entire town of of immigrants <laughs> yes you're welcome yeah um but th- all of this is to say that this is just an insane story and uh i think it'll be easier to talk about the influence of or, or i shouldn't say the influence the effect of the police work if we get kind of the background story so i'm going to Pass the mic on over to to my wonderful, wonderful co-hostess, Miss Sam Baxter. And I'm going to let you, uh, I don't know, take the reins. Thank you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have to say, this is like the bare, bare bones of this. Like, I don't go into a lot of detail at all on this little, little write-up that I've done here. Yeah, but that was but- a... Uh, but there's semi-conscious there's too much detail there's so many details and i'm yeah. sure we will get into some more of the details as we're talking yeah. about it but uh it's also kind of like and we've had this discussion before about true crime in that if if we spend too much time focusing on those things it kind of takes away from what you should be focusing on which is the people who were affected by it yeah so uh go for it <clears throat> okay So Richard Ramirez, in his early life, was subjected to physical abuse by his father. Mm -hmm. He was also heavily influenced by his cousin Miguel, who served in Vietnam and apparently was pretty proud of the fact that he murdered and raped people there. Um, Showed Ramirez Polaroids of the people that he killed and people that he raped. Um, He also shot his wife in front of him. So <laughs> in front of Ramirez. In front of Ramirez, yes. Yeah. He shot Miguel shot Miguel's <laughs> wife in front of Ramirez. Yeah. It was kind of Sorry, because the, the way it was phrased, was it made it sound yeah. like he could have been doing it like with the gun behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> he shot his wife in front of him, not behind him. No, but um <clears throat> after that, as he got older, Ramirez develops a little bit of a rap sheet for traffic and drug violations. Nothing like super major but there probably should have been because when he was working for i believe it's a holiday inn he tried to rape a woman in her hotel room Mm -hmm. the husband came back in time to stop this and beat him senseless 
oh no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's what fucked up his teeth. Yeah, but then they were like leaving the state and didn't want to press charges because they didn't want to come back to testify. So he never got charged with it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. <laughs> um, now we kind of get to the point where he becomes the Night Stalker. These are the crimes that fall under that title for him. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the first murder was a nine-year-old girl named Mei Lung in April of 1984. Then on June 28th, which is, you know, two months later, he murders Jenny Vincow. Um, then he's dormant for just under a year. Which is probably one of the strangest things about it. Well, yeah. Didn't they, based off of the Netflix documentary though, wasn't it like a thing that it seems like he was dormant because they focused so strongly on LA and then the few in San Francisco once they kind of knew that this was going on. Mm -hmm. But he says something like one of the other detectives says something along the lines of like, during this time, I think he was operating somewhere else because he brought up some other crimes that like weren't really super publicized and like kind of took credit for it. So it was like, I don't know if that's, yeah, I could it's, be wrong. Though. It's widely <laughs> theorized that he was involved in a lot more cases than he was actively linked to. So it is possible that he had a dormant period. It's also very possible that he was uh, committing other crimes in either other places or using a different MO. Cause that's kind of the strange thing about him is that his MO tended to change. Yeah, which... no, he doesn't really have a set methodology the only thing that was a set methodology was the 22 caliber handgun um that was the only thing that kind of that was the thing that really linked him even between san well, francisco and la that and also the shoe print which they talked well about and the shoe print but i'm saying in terms of like oh yeah his mo meant, yeah uh he was he was well known for uh bludgeoning for shooting for stabbing but the most constant uh modus operandi was uh the fact that he used a 22 caliber handgun that had a very distinct um uh what what are they called like the gun red what? ballistics oh no it was like a red thing right it was like the bullet <sighs> had very specific <clears throat> the bullets were very specific because they were like outdated yeah and so they he they had to have been bought at a certain time and that was part of what helped them link uh, the murders in San Francisco to the murders in Los Angeles. But I'll I'll let you keep going. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um, like I said, then he's dormant, or at least to our knowledge, he's dormant mm -hmm. um, for just under a year. The next murder is Dale Okazaki, and he attempts to murder her roommate, Maria Hernandez, in March 1985. Um, Maria Hernandez actually is sort of an interesting little tidbit. Is um, she the one with the car keys? Yes. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. has a touch by an angel moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I were her, I would have played the lottery the next yeah, fucking no, day. He... I'm pretty sure she used up all her luck the day before. <laughs> <laughs> that he, was incredible. He shot her in the face and the bullet ricocheted off of her car keys, which probably spared it from being a fatal yeah. shooting. So, yeah. So good for Maria. Yeah. Um, ten days later, he kills Vincent and Maxine Zazara, who are an elderly couple that didn't live too far away. Mm -hmm. I also... <clears throat> I missed the night he killed Dale Okazaki. He also kills Sai Leon Yu while carjacking her mm -hmm. to get away from the scene. So about a month later, he kills Bill Doy and he attempts to kill his wife Lillian. 15 days after that, he kills or he attempts to kill Mabel Bell and Florence Lang. Lang survives the attack. Um, Bell, they were 
elderly Bell, sisters. They were elderly sisters. Belle died of her injuries after the fact they were alive in their apartment for two days before anyone found them. Mm-hmm. Um, the very next day, he attacks Carol Kyle and her 11-year-old son. Luckily, both survive. Mm-hmm. And then in July of 1985, the crimes really start to ramp up. He starts to kill very quickly. Um, he kills Mary Cannon on July 2nd. He attacks Whitney Bennett on July 5th. He kills Joyce Nelson on July 7th. And the same day, he attacks Sophie Dickman. July 20th is another double attack. Leela Lil- <clears throat> and Max and Needing, who are both killed. Shane Arong Covenant, his wife Somkid, and their eight-year-old son. Both the wife and son survived the attack. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And then we get to August, which is the month he's caught. August 6th, he... <clears throat> Attacks Chris and Virginia Peterson both survive. August 8th, Sakina and Elias Aboath and their three-year-old son. Elias is the only one killed in the attack. Um, August 18th, Peter and Barbara Pan. Peter is killed. August 24th, Ramirez is scared off an attack when James Romero Jr.'s son alerts his father to noises outside. So go, kid. (laughs) August 24th, Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson both survive an attack by Ramirez. And that is the last one before he is caught. Um, he, Ramirez is also believed to have abducted, sexually assaulted, and then returned two children under the age of 10. Mm-hmm. Which One is a- of them actually does uh, appear in the docuseries. Yeah, she was in the mm-hmm. episode that I saw. Yeah, which is kind of insane because it's a part of the story I was not as familiar with. I didn't yeah. know that he had done that. And that, again, it's like... There's so much to unpack here <laughs> beyond the murder and, and sexual abuse of adults. Then you have the murder and sexual abuse of children, which is like, it's hard to piece together what the, what the tie is from a psychological standpoint. That's kind of the thing with Ramirez that makes me almost not want to call him a serial killer. He, his attacks are so random. There's nothing that links the victims. Mm-hmm. There's there's no type of person that he's looking for. It's basically just whoever, whoever's whoever there. he can get into the house. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's the only criteria. Hmm. It's bizarre. Yeah, the, I I mean, and that was part of what was so scary at the time. It was obviously 1984 into 1985. And we were in the midst of the satanic panic and there was all kinds of, uh, I mean, we'll get into this more in a bit, but there was all kinds of speculation about what was affecting him once, like once he was caught, everyone was speculating about what the fuck the the tie (laughs) was for this guy. And it's like, nobody knows. He was, he was like a living Michael Myers. It was just like, oh, the door's open. So yeah that that is it was it was just truly insane but i'll i'll let you keep going okay (laughs) so um excuse me the uh the cops get a fingerprint off of a stolen car that inez erickson saw him driving away from her attack from they finally um identify the killer as ramirez they put his picture up everywhere they put it it's on the news it's in the newspapers everyone can see it um ramirez meanwhile was visiting his brother in arizona and had no idea that (laughs) that he'd been made (laughs) um comes back on a bus and was recognized in the bus depot by three 
by three elderly Mexican ladies who started calling him El Matador, which is Spanish for the killer. Yeah. Um, he was then chased, captured, and beaten by people in the bus depot in the surrounding area, including having a lead pipe thrown at his head. Mm -hmm. The police had to intervene to stop the crowd from killing him. And boy, would that have been a shame. I was like, oh, thank God they did. <laughs> oh, no, I forgot to put holes in the in box. The box. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the trial process lasted four years and cost California almost $2 million, which is almost $4 million in today's money. Oh, my God. Um, Ramirez frequently flashed pentagrams in the courtroom and laughed during particularly emotional testimony. In September 1989, he was convicted on 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He was sentenced to death in the gas chamber. After a lengthy appeals process, Ramirez ended up dying of cancer in June 2013. Obviously, he was never executed. What day was that? June 7th, 2013. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> My birthday. <laughs> To be fair, knowing that he died on my birthday makes it a little better. <laughs> um, as a side note, he was married once to a woman named Doreen Leoy, who wrote him 75 letters during his incarceration, but left him after DNA linked him to Mei Lung's sexual assault and murder. That's the nine-year-old girl. Because the rest of it Apparently, was Apparently, just... that was the line. <laughs> I was like, I was like, because him being convicted of literally all the other shit was just like so unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> And then he died engaged to a woman named Christine Lee, who deserves a swift kick to the vulva. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you added that last little piece as though it was a fact. <laughs> like, it should be on the Wikipedia. It should be on the Wikipedia. <laughs> she just, uh, Christine I'm sorry, Lee. I have absolutely no respect for her bristophiliacs at all. Yeah. Like, I, it, it's something I really <laughs> struggle with because I, I don't know much about hybristophilia. So it's like, I don't know. It must be a medical condition, right? <sighs> I don't know if it's a medical condition. It's definitely a... A psychological A psychological one. disorder, I guess. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, to me, clinical. So it's like... The, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of... Uh, kind of philosophical argument I have with myself about pedophilia. Because it's like, obviously, I would never, def I would never defend a pedophile. Yeah. Especially someone who acted on those impulses. But it's like, if they are, if there is like a psychological deficit that creates this impulse, are they mentally, like, it's almost like the liberal nightmare. Yeah. Where it's yeah. like, I defend the mentally ill, but I abhor the, 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 yeah. right. the violence. So it's like, how do I reconcile this in my brain where it's like, He's mentally ill, or sh they are mentally ill, so it's like, they sh they should deserve help, but they have committed an atrocity that, in my opinion, does not garner the I'm, the right to help. It's like, how do I, how do I, like, make sense of that? I mean, I, th I think when we send them to, to mental hospitals and, and things like that, like, I think that sort of solves that quandary a little bit in that they're incarcerated they can't hurt anybody yeah but they're also receiving the help that they need but there's always a part of my my thinking that kind of goes towards like but do they deserve the help you know what i mean and i don't know if that makes me cruel i don't know if that if if even saying all of this out loud makes me sound like a crazy person but like <laughs> 
do you know what I mean? Like there's a, a such a philosophical dilemma here in that it's like I I should as an advocate for for mental health say well this person does deserve to be treated. Yeah. But there's something to be said for the fact that like if you just having an impulse does not absolve you of any of the consequences of acting upon it. No. And so that's kind of where it becomes like, well, no, maybe he doesn't deserve treatment because it's like, I'm addicted to food. That's no secret. Look at my Instagram. But but if I see a cheeseburger, I can, I can stop myself from eating it. Yeah. Because I know it is bad for me. And it's like, if I can do that, I have to think that the impulse can't be that different when it's a sexual impulse. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do know what you mean. Um, there is a theory that pedophiles, particularly ones that are that are very active, will say, um, tend to have a history of head injury. Hmm. So there's a thought that if you damage the temporal lobe, you take away impulse control. That's where you have a problem. Doesn't he have right. a temporal lobe? Um, Richard does. Ramirez does have a temporal lobe injury. Yes. Yeah. Was that from the lead pipe? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that was um, his father beating him. Mm. Um, apparently, he lost consciousness several times before the age of six when his father was beating him. So, which again is not. It's like there's a there's a part of my brain that hears like there's an abused child i should feel bad for him but again it's like how far do we excuse someone's actions in spite of uh, uh, you know what i mean like because of their upbringing or because of their misfortune uh, i mean i think the argument is always look at the number of people who have the same circumstances who don't do shit like this yeah so it's like if you can have the same set of circumstances and not go on a killing spree i feel like the argument that having those circumstances absolves you of that is completely Mm -hmm. bogus yeah and that's fair are there people who suffer temporal lobe injuries who do not commit violence or or sexual violence i'm sure there are yeah like so then scientifically, can it even be argued that they correlate? The the argument Is this like another is, is this like another Reagan McNeil cor- where it's, it's like it's correlation, <laughs> not causation kind of yeah. thing? Like, does that make sense? I mean, I guess, but it seems to me like we're having the same conversation we had about the exorcist, where it's like, oh, he, she's got a scar, we just have to find it. It's like does it have to be on exactly well, the right spot? Well, but I mean, even if like you think of like something like like the shootings that happen in like the US all the time more often than not it's like you know some like white guy who is like you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of thing it's like being white and being a guy is not necessarily like a predetermining factor to being somebody who would like cause a mass murder but um you know there is a strong correlation between the instances that this is typically the um you know some of the correlating I don't know the words I'm trying to use. <laughs> you get my point, though. 
though you get my yeah. point though like it's like it's like it's kind of like a square a square is a rectangle but not all rectangles are squares whatever kind of thing you know like it's really well, no rectangles are squares you get my point or no i'm sorry no square is a rectangle no, squares right. are rectangles. No rectangle is a square. No. <laughs> but also, but yeah. all squares are rectangles. Yeah. Not all, yeah. So it's like, it's kind of like, these are things that keep popping up all the time that you kind of go, okay, that's like important to note, but it's not like a determining factor. You get my point? I mean, I guess I just, I'm, I don't know. I'm having a hard time. Uh, I'm having a hard time having any sympathy. And I don't think that that was the uh intention by any means i just like it does it does put me in a bit of a quandary when it's like i'm a bleeding heart liberal i should be able to kind of take things apart and dissect them and and find empathy in this situation somewhere but i just don't like if I... richard ramirez had gotten eaten by a bear it would have been too simple a death for me yeah <laughs> i am um, yeah. i'm sorry no you go ahead no I, I was done okay um no i was gonna say because i am also a bleeding heart liberal it kind of it puts me in mind of how i feel about the death penalty which is relevant because he was sentenced to the sentenced death penalty to death, yeah um it's i believe wholeheartedly that there are things you can do in this life that warrant you being taken from it mm-hmm if we could even remotely assume that it was it was being implemented in a responsible and non-biased way, I would be in favor of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. If there was any evidence that it wasn't used <laughs> yeah. improperly all the time. All the time, yeah. So it's like I have a hard time feeling bad for Richard Ramirez because I believe wholeheartedly that the state should have killed him mm-hmm. like and he died of cancer and he died of cancer yeah. and while he was incarcerated <laughs> and during a lengthy appeals process yeah that was going on but i think i think my point in all of this is you can hold both truths at the same time yeah i guess it just becomes well then what is the actionable conclusion <laughs> because <laughs> You know what I mean? I think I think for me what it comes down to is it comes down to like in the case of something like Richard Ramirez, I obviously have no empathy for him, but that's because he you cuz him being an adult knows the difference between right and wrong and knows that the things that he wanted to do and the impulses he was having would hurt people. So like but to say I guess like from a bleeding heart liberal's perspective, if somebody did come forward who said I'm having these impulses but they've never done anything like they want to seek treatment, I'm like this is a person who wants to like deal with this. Like, I'm like, okay, here's a situation of somebody who who's trying to actively not give in to these impulses and trying not to hurt people. Whereas Richard Ramirez was very happy to hurt people and enjoyed it and wanted to do it. You know, like, you get my point? I, I do. And yeah. I think it's a fair point. My question becomes like, well, how many people then go to their doctors and say, I'm really struggling because I... I have violent tendencies and I want to hurt people or I want to hurt animals. It's like, is that a thing? Do, do people do that? Um, I, not usually voluntarily. <laughs> yeah, because I think they're worried about, you know, the obvious. But that's kind of my... Well, I yeah. think it, it stems from sociopathy. So it's like... Yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. A, a lot of times they have disassociated to the point where they don't see people as people. So it's like... 
how do how do you how do you justify that? Because it's like clearly there's something mentally and emotionally wrong with that person, but it almost seems like and this is going to sound so cruel. It sound it seems like more of a burden to have them. You know what I mean? Like it's not worth the burden of trying to address it at that point. No, and, I understand what you're saying. I think. And that's again where I struggle because it's like I should feel that they are worth saving, but there has never been any evidence that someone recovered from sociopathy. No, there aren't too many recovered sociopaths. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, but no, I think I think that everybody and I don't think you should feel bad about it because I think everybody has. I a mean, li- I don't everybody feel bad has about a it. limit to their empathy. <laughs> no, but when you say things like "I should feel bad," yeah. li- like yeah. everyone has a limit to their empathy, and I feel like you know Ricky Ramirez being on the other side of that line is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it actually brought up something really interesting because I struggle a lot with how I feel about the death penalty. Generally speaking, I am opposed to it. But in a case like this, where it's like, there is irrefutable evidence that Richard Ramirez is the Night Stalker and that he killed at least 13 people. It's like, at that point... And I'm talking irrefutable evidence. There is DNA yeah. evidence. There is uh, there is physical evidence. There is witness testimony. It's like, if it was just witness testimony or it was just physical evidence, I'd say it's it's not a strong case. But in the in the 21st century, I guess at the time it was the 20th century. In the 20th century, when we have things like DNA testing, and he had been genetically linked to these murders, it's like... You fucking did it. I don't think there was any DNA evidence at the original trial. At the original D- trial. D- yeah. DNA evidence was in its infancy when he was being tried. Right. But he was later genetically yes. linked to these yeah. murders. And at that point, like, if you have been linked by DNA evidence to something as heinous as he is linked to, at that point, it's like, I, and again, this is a very, uh, extreme viewpoint but it's like fuck the appeals process he doesn't deserve an appeals process it's like if you have been linked by dna to these insane killings just take him out back old yeller style like let's get rid of this motherfucker (laughs) maybe take an extra five minutes when the crowd is beating the crap out of him (laughs) yeah maybe maybe stop at duncan like Like, oh no stop america runs on duncan (laughs) i mean it's one of those things that i do understand why the cops intervene because like how the hell can you know that they got the right guy (laughs) Uh like they could have just seen a guy who kind of looked like him no that's true yeah but Uh like it's one of those things that the appeals process also is generally for things like the judge handled this wrong in the mm-hmm. in the trial, like things like that. It doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with whether or not you're innocent or guilty. So, but I, at that point, I don't, I don't even give a shit if the judge stood up, peed on the the <laughs> uh, peed, like peed on the bailiff and like took his pants off and waved him above his head and said, "I'm the king of England," and ran out of the room. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> and like. I don't give a shit if the, if the judge was Scott Peterson. Like, Richard Ramirez does not deserve an appeals process. No, I agree, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm... 
it's, maybe it's me and Glenn over here. Right? <laughs> Glenn's up there furiously, <laughs> furiously typing apology letters. <laughs> My God. Um, and first and foremost to Dunkin' Donuts for, for, for using their tagline uh, without permission in our podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of the I don't know the the crux of this whole situation. Um, you and I have privately spoken about this case in the past. Yes, and. Uh, we have all kind of come to the conclusion that Richard Ramirez is probably one of the scariest people who has ever lived. Yes. Do you think do you think he he deserves the title of like one of the scariest serial killers? I I know that I consider him personally to be the scariest one. The scariest. The scariest. Ha- no one. N- like hands down. Hands down I'm not even like BTK is like a distant second. Oh, wow. Like y- yeah. Yeah. It's just um the idea that it's it's home invasion. Um it's actually kind of worse for me because he tends to leave someone alive. But is that purposeful? Um a lot of the time it wasn't, but sometimes it was. Okay. Um which is the other thing, he's completely random like Yeah, that's the scary. Like when he's when so unpredictable random. that like yeah. It's one of those things that like if I get picked up by Ted Bundy, I know what's going to happen. Like, 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 you know, if I if I run into Dennis Rader, I know what's going to happen. Like, I don't actually think I know who Dennis Rader is. That's that that's BTK. Oh, I did. I I am less familiar with BTK. If I'm being honest, that's fine. Um, but like with Richard Ramirez, like it could be anything from like, like we're we're going through the drive-through to like you are the (laughs) drive-through. Yeah, like. You know, it's like I could end up with a slash in my throat so fucking yeah. deep that he nearly decapitated me. Yeah. Or he could or just shoot you. He could shoot me. Yeah. Or I could survive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I, I typically think that killers that are more like random in their choosing of victims and even how they kill is scarier just because, like, even in cases of like somebody like Ted Bundy who had like a pretty clear like profile. Like, not that that's not terrifying, but, like, if you can kind of, like, get out of the profile, you feel a little safer, you know what I mean? Whereas with somebody like Richard Ramirez, you're like, we don't even know what he's like. Or if, like, if they were, if someone on the news, like, if a news anchor came on and was like, warning, there's a guy out there who loves killing women with fake boobs and couch cushions on their butts, I'd be like, you know what, maybe... I should, like, not walk to my car alone tonight. <laughs> yeah. But, like, if you don't know what's motivating someone, it's like... That's what I mean. It's Because yeah, it's just random. He's just there's, killing. There's no way of yeah. feeling safe. And I think, I think personally, that was his primary motivation. That And this is entirely my opinion. It is based solely on my very, very... Uh, unintelligent <laughs> or uninformed i should say <laughs> opinion of of the psychology of of richard ramirez i think his primary motivation was to scare and control people i agree yes i agree and i think that a lot of people uh i think a lot of people don't focus on that because it's like the random selection of his victims, the the random 
uh, selection of uh, a murder weapon. The kind of like strange interactions he has with his victims. The the relaxed way he handles his victims eating at, at the people's homes. Like yeah. we're, we haven't even gotten into some of the like stranger shit he did or like yeah. the things he said to people's kids. And, and like, yeah. I, honestly the, the docuseries goes into a lot more detail about it. Although they did leave a lot of room for more information. If I'm being honest, yeah. Um, the intricate details of what he did are so erratic and and un- unpredictable is the word that keeps coming up tonight that's the thing that i think he got off the most on i don't think it, it was, i don't think he was primarily motivated by sex i don't he was like a stream of consciousness like it's like whatever came to his mind that's what he was going to do you know yeah but i almost feel like it wasn't just that I almost feel like some of it was planned to seem spontaneous or or planned to seem a uh, stream of consciousness in well, a yeah. way. I mean, but even like even if he planned it that way, the concept of it being just like it's just like a whatever comes to my mind is what I'm going to do is mm. terrifying because it's the fear of the unknown, the fear of unpredictability. Like, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like I think he got off on that. I think the thing that he got off on most. I, I mean, obviously he he assaulted people sexually. Yeah. He murdered them. So he he had to be inclined by violence and sex. But I think the thing that really most appeal to him especially knowing the story about his childhood is that i think he liked feeling like he was in ultimate control i think he probably had a god complex i think he liked feeling like he was a step ahead like he was in control of the situation and like you couldn't keep up with him i think that was the thing that really yeah motivated him he wanted to be like the embodiment of like a perception of evil because even like the whole satanic references and like that kind of stuff and like what he did yeah although i mean i have i have feelings about the the satanic stuff because like i said this is in the middle of the satanic panic yeah um what what are your thoughts on that i mean just like from the way he acted it seemed like he wanted his thing to be like that he was like uncaring the embodiment of evil like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. like he just did what he pleased because he was like and he like i I agree with you i think he got off on like the control and being able to manipulate that and like you know being like literally the most feared thing so it's like i think that's what he really liked but that's why i say like obviously i act i i don't think and i think most people would say this that richard ramirez actually was motivated by any of the satanic imagery or or he used it. He Propaganda used it. that he he put into the trial. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't even... I think, again, and this is why I feel the way I do about what his, what his motivations were, it was another way to manipulate, at that point, the media. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and the trial and the, and the audience in his mind, what, what we all were to him, was his audience. And it was like, well... I can control the dialogue now by saying uh, it's, you know, by saying hail Satan, by saying, you know, yeah. look at this imagery, look at this thing. Yeah. It's it, it's almost Trumpian. 
that that's that's like what i sort of meant because it was just like it was yeah. Just, yeah no i know yeah i wasn't disagreeing with you no i know i just meant like yeah sorry um it, it, and uh, it's strange because like that just came to me and now i'm like i've like shocked myself i'm like wow <laughs> in a different life donald trump could have been richard ramirez i think <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I mean that seriously like I'm, I, I I'm not even do. joking no, you're, you're not right. yeah. <laughs> but don't you think it's the same kind of sociopathy need to be in control need to be in the in the driver's seat need to be uh, totally like vindicated by your own actions it's like he he is a narcissist and a, and a sociopath yeah yeah no, most serial killers are. I, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that shocking? Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. The thing that uh, that I, I, I do think kind of, because this is a very dark uh, topic to discuss, obviously. And, you know, we've been joking about certain pieces of it. Never, I want to point out, at the expense of any of the victims. But... Um, the one kind of light in this story is not even the police. Because if I'm being honest, I think that I was like, these guys were really struggling. But um, the one light for me is the manner by which he was apprehended. Yeah. yeah. And I know we've touched on this a few times now. But it's like, again, from a bleeding heart liberal's perspective, <laughs> I'm like... Oh, a group of immigrants banded together and surrounded this guy, beat the shit out of him and detained him for the police. Yep. And it's like, take that Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's that like, it's almost like the perfect ending of a movie in a way, like where you're like, I just want to see this guy get like the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Literally see. And it's what literally happened to him. And he almost died. Like that's the other thing. Like he almost died that day. Like they they even showed in the um, documentary. Like when they put him in the car, he's like shaking and he's like bloodied. And then like he kind of composes himself when the cameras are like there. Mm-hmm. But like you can see, like he's clearly rattled. <laughs> <It's>, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like obviously, who wouldn't be? But like, but the irony is that it's like this weird, almost on top of a thing, like where like his entire facade comes crumbling down. Like he's like because he because he is so rattled by it, mm-hmm. like that he runs through the streets, tries to carjack some woman, doesn't get them because they get to him before yeah. he can even get the car. And like, yeah, he's running in fear. It's like the ultimate turn of like the tables that you want in this kind of scenario where like they like and you just kind of wish the cops were like maybe 10 minutes late you know like just 10 more minutes in this specific instance because yeah. we know it was him well yes um yeah i i 100 agree with that and again it's like it almost feels like my own personal vindication because i have been such an outspoken proponent of of programs like daca and and immigrants and and things like that it's like no immigrants are a very valuable part of our our society they actually make up almost 100% of our society yeah, yeah. so it's like uh, the idea that they have been turned into this political weapon of like, oh, they're stealing your jobs, they're stealing your opportunities, they're stealing your money, they're stealing your healthcare, they're stealing this. It's like, no, these are people just like you and me who actually were braver than I probably would have ever been in a situation like that and went out there and 
taught that motherfucker a lesson. <laughs> and it's like, that to me was such a, a kind of a cathartic moment in a strange way. Yeah, no, there there isn't a lot of catharsis to be had no. in whenever you're talking about serial killers, but like Richard Ramirez is kind of the one shining instance where you kind of feel like he got a little bit of what he deserved. I mean, a touch, yeah. If he had really gotten what he deserved, they would have tied his arms and legs to four different cars. (laughs) (laughs) Driven him back to the station in different directions. The other, like, amazing thing about that moment is that it's literally, like, because, like, the whole, like, thing with him is that he had California literally, like, on lockdown and like mm-hmm. in the biggest state of fear ever. So like when he was identified and then like a dumbass came back to California without knowing that like he'd been identified and then like it's him literally running through the streets as like the people that he terrified are like you know like coming down on him like to in, in this case to kill him. Like like there's like such a weird almost like I, I don't want to say like poetic because it sounds like gross, but like you get my point. Like in the like fact, a poetic justice. The, the fact because like you said, you're like I don't even know if I could do that, but I think you could have because in this moment he's so outnumbered by the people that he's been like preying mm. upon. It's almost as if like, and again, I hate using this as like, but it's almost as like if the sheep realize that the wolf is one and they're a pack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, yeah, it's like, and that's fair. Yeah. Like, so it's like that moment was like the craziest thing because it's like i think if i was one of 10 people and everyone around me picked up a bat i'd yeah. pick up a bat yeah but like well and i'm not yeah. advocating for no, no, uh, vigilante justice here <laughs> but uh my point was that like these these people who are immigrants in in, in this neighborhood yeah uh really did not flinch yeah. in the face of in the face of this like really scary motherfucker well they all came to they all came to uh the call of justice and and put that fucker on the ground but i also think that speaks to the fact that like so many immigrant communities talk about the fact that like you know the police weren't always there for them and they kind of had to take care of their own Mm -hmm. so you know like when you get like three older women who are like that's the dude you know everybody's like all right (laughs) (laughs) you know it's been spoken let's go take care of this so it's like you know, like that is just such a like it's I it's the craziest um thing I think I've ever heard revolving around a serial killer. Like that his capture is so crazy. Do we consider him a serial killer? Cause this is an interesting question that you brought up. And because my first impulse is to be like, yeah, of course he is. What the fuck? But Again, there are there are very strict criteria for a serial killer that uh, involve, you know, active and cooling off periods and a typical M.O., a typical motivation. Um, and he, uh, for lack of a better term, breaks a lot of the rules. It's one of those things that by the technical definition of a serial killer, yes, he's absolutely a serial killer. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. The problem comes from like when you start talk about when you when you start talk about <laughs> when you start talking about things like profiling and things like that. Like Richard Ramirez is an outlier. He's he's very difficult to profile. Like you would never be able 
to guess. <laughs> and he's got a busted profile. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, he's look at his one. fucking teeth. I mean, I, I, they don't really ever talk about how good looking Richard Ramirez, but it's kind of like a Ted Bundy situation. Like, yeah, but like, he had like throngs of women like yeah, hanging I, out. To be fair, it. until he opens his mouth, he's not a bad looking guy. Like I was kind of like, eh. if if he wasn't a murderous sociopath, maybe I'd notice him in a bar. But then he opens his mouth and you're like, what, were you the stunt double in Jaws? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, that's true. He, his mouth, it is the most horrific thing about him. Have you looked at his teeth? Yes. He is a... And they almost caught him at the dentist. Yeah. Right? I, <laughs> I forgot like, about you that. You look at him and it's like, I didn't even think you knew the goddamn word. Like, <laughs> how did you... How did this say, end up being a the, thing? That one was so crazy to me because that gave me very um, unsolved mysteries with the guy who went Christmas <laughs> shopping. The whole dentist thing. I was like, you knew where he was going to be. Yeah. You knew his name. You knew where he was going to be. You talked to... like, And it was just like... Some stupid, like, bullshit reason, like, that you're not there. Like, why nobody's there. I was like, this is the dumbest fucking... And he gets away. Like, and I'm like, what the fuck? And again, it's like, I want to be fair. And I want to be like, <laughs> well, I wasn't there, so I don't know. Bah, 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 bah. But then it's like, I said, and cover your ears, Glenn. It's like, <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, what the fuck were they doing? Well, but not only that, it gets, like, it's funny because when I was watching the documentary, like, obviously, like, the two guys who were, like, kind of, like, most in charge of it, mm-hmm. like, you can tell, like, they, all they want to do is solve this case, like, yeah. anybody would want to do. But then it's also, like, it was, like, you're sitting here talking about how, like, you know, jurisdictions don't talk and, like, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, but you guys have, like, pretty much, gra- like, granted yourself, like, being, like, we're the two in charge here. And it's, like, if... If I can't imagine at any time that what like a group of people wouldn't come together like this and be like, okay, we need to catch this guy, you know, like even co- like like how could you not all literally be on this case? I know, like especially given the fact that he like didn't really have like a section that he stuck to. They eventually realized that he was also in San Francisco, so it's like, wouldn't the whole state be on this? Like beyond just these two guys who like seeming like you know what I mean? Well, and I'm sure that there were more people involved. I know, but you but get my point. I, I know. I think I think the. The thing that sucks is that, like, all the other criminals don't take a break when there's a serial killer. But, like, like, what it comes down to is, like, a lot of times, like, when we talk about these types of things, like, there's always these, like, cops who are like, oh, you know, people want the credit and it's jurisdictions not talking. And it's like, these are supposed to be the people, like, protecting us from people like Richard Ramirez. And they won't talk to each other because, God forbid, somebody else got the credit for figuring something out. I know. And And that's when it gets That's why I get annoyed in these cases. Usually, like, when the cops are, like, kind of, like, glorified, I'm like, he was operating for almost a year. Like, over, a over a year, year. Yeah, yeah over a year like and he was and he was he was doing multiple like things a night and they couldn't catch him they multiple couldn't... things a night multiple multiple actions in a week like, yeah because <laughs> at one point they talk about um the news anchor and um the guy that she was working with and they kind of like slightly vilify her but she's pretty much just like What's going on? Why is this? Why, why haven't you guys got him yet? Like, <laughs> How's know? that sandwich? Yeah, right? like, yeah. She's like, I keep seeing you guys. So clearly you're involved here. Like, what's going on? Well, and the thing that kills me is like one of the attacks happened on like on the police officer's street. Yeah. Like the investigator's street. And I'm like, like, how, what are you Republicans? Does this have to, does this have to be right in front of you? Yeah. <laughs> Like, like you would think that there would be 
such an increased like police presence, especially at night mm-hmm. in every single neighborhood, specifically the neighborhoods that are getting affected the most. Like they would like I would like to think that they would have called in help from outside of the state. Like at this point, like he's literally going around killing people like almost nightly and multiple mm. people at that. Like, you're telling me you couldn't even just be like, hey, can we borrow some of the National Guard? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just something. Do you think it's that crazy. there are precautions that could have been taken to minimize the the effect of, of Richard Ramirez? Well, that's kind Besides of... Besides people locking their doors. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the other scary thing about him is no. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a single thing that you could do to prevent him from doing what he wanted to do. Like you can put all the cops you want out there. They can't be everywhere at once. That is true. Mm-hmm. Like all he has to do is find a neighborhood that's more lightly patrolled. Like, and honestly, I don't even know if he'd give a shit if he put four cops on that street. Like, I don't know if he would even care. Yeah. He was not, he was, he did not seem to be very afraid of consequence. No. And that's a, except that, for when he was getting his ass beat. Yeah, <laughs> that to me though is like the scarier part about him is his lack of fear, his lack of fear of consequence. Um, I will say there aren't a lot of other serial killers I think he can be compared to in terms of ones that have affected me on the same level as Richard Ramirez because I do think he's probably one of the scariest. I think the only one in my mind that even holds a candle, besides BTK, which is kind of a given, is the Zodiac. Yeah. Because he actually did get away with it. Yes, he did. So it's like, and that whole story was so convoluted. It's like, nobody knows how much of it was even true. You know what I mean? Um, And not to turn this into a conversation about the Zodiac, but again, you have this kind of, the same qualities it's like the MO changes a bit. Sometimes it's stabbing, sometimes it's shooting. Uh the kind of like kind of like God complex, the narcissism, the sociopathy, it's like there's just something about that case that to me has like flavors of the Night Stalker. Yeah, no, that's fair, especially like you said, the randomness of it. Yeah. Like he, it was, he wasn't attacking people he was associated with, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, because we we don't, we don't know the outcome. Yeah, we <laughs> so. don't know any of the motivations behind the Zodiac. Yeah. Do you have, do you, is there a case that speaks to you in the same there, way? I will say, Richard Ramirez scares the bejesus out of me, but there is actually one um, that actually scares me more. And it has to do with... Um, I, I can never remember their names, but there were these two guys with like a van and they would like, either, it was either like pick up hitchhikers or whatever. You know what I'm talking I, about. I know the case you're talking about. Because they use it names. at the FBI. I think I've mentioned this yeah. before. Like they use it at the FBI to yeah. desensitize people to like crime. They make them sit through this like video or a recording or whatever it's it is. A, it's an audio tape. Yeah. And like, it's just literally like the most senseless, crazy um like, cause he, like, they would use like sledgehammers. They would like, wa- like on, like, and they wouldn't do it to kill. It was literally just to be like. Eventually, they would kill their victims, but they would, they would essentially no, torture, torture them. Torture them. Yeah, and like, it was like horrific. 
And like Richard Ramir- uh, Ramirez, Jesus, <laughs> Richard, I call him Dick Ramirez. <laughs> Dick Ramirez. <laughs> but, um, and let me yeah. tell you, I'm really looking forward to driving you home after this yeah. so that I can walk back to my building <laughs> yeah. in the dark. <laughs> no, but like those two, because like we, a lot of the like more um, like well-known, like prolific serial killers, like Ted Bundy, like Ted Bundy doesn't actually scare me that bad. Like in terms Ted of Bundy like, was just like the luckiest idiot. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like he was like obviously he was terrible. And like I think what makes him scary is the um, possible body count compared to like yeah. what we know about. Yeah, but it's like people like Richard Ramirez, um, the two people I was just mentioning. Like, and there's like a, there was like the guy in like Texas or whatever who like recruited the kid to help him get more kids. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Like those types of people really, really scare the crap out of me because they are definitely like within that. But like a lot of the times you talk about like Ted Bundy, BTK, well, BTK is probably a little bit not, but like, and it's like scary, but it's not the same as like these people who are like really off the, like Jeffrey Dahmer, like Jeffrey Dahmer scares the bejesus out of me because he would have drilled a hole in my head, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, are you talking about the toolbox killers? Maybe. There, it's Lawrence Bittaker and Ray Norris. Uh, they were known as the Toolbox Killers, and they were uh, American serial killers and rapists who kidnapped, yeah. uh, raped, tortured, and killed five teenage girls in Southern California. Yeah, and they, I mean, they had. I feel like they had like um, a, a specific profile for like the type of girls they went after, but it was like they were just horrific. And even if it was just like five victims, it was like five victims who like it was like not great. Like, I don't know how to explain that. It was like, <laughs> it was just like, really like, oh my God. I remember reading it on Wikipedia and I was like, holy hell. Like, I just felt for them. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit unfamiliar with the case, if I'm being honest. Uh, although I, I, I always say this, I'm very interested in true crime, but I have a horrible memory for facts. Like, yeah. facts and things like that just don't stick with me. The names of things don't stick with me. I used to be I used to be so much better at it, and I don't know where along the way I just, like, I, 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 I can't, I would need to be taking ginkgo biloba every fucking day <laughs> because I just don't, I can't remember anything. Well, I, like, sometimes I'll, like, go on, like, deep dives, you know what I mean? Like, especially on, like, Wikipedia, because there's, like, like, it'll just, like, da, 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 da. so yeah. you go, like, one to the next. And when I got to them, I have a thing as it is with, like, power tools and like all that stuff like i don't even like to use them <laughs> nevertheless like read about what people like those kinds of crazy people would use them for the creative like, ways like, i can't even watch saw them. like i can't do it like um mm. so it's like when i read things about like like the toolbox killers like with sledgehammers and even like with richard ramirez like just like the like what he would do with a knife i'm like oh god like it's yeah. just like ugh. it's one thing to watch it in you know, a horror movie that we all love yeah, and a totally different thing to imagine it in actuality. And this is actually a good point to talk about kind of more of the satanic panic that was happening at the time. Uh, when we were getting ready to do this episode, I was like watching videos on YouTube. And uh, one of the things was like, it was a serious broadcast, like a serious news broadcast about the possibility that Richard Ramirez was motivated to do what he did by ACDC. Yeah. What? A- the band, ACDC. Yeah. Oh, this was at the time, you said? At the time, yeah. Oh. And God. it's like, these were actual news reports that people thought that, like, m- killers like Richard Ramirez were motivated by music, by movies, 
uh, later in, into the 90s by video games. It's like I was going to bring up because I even use that now with like the mass shootings. They try to pinpoint it on video games constantly. And it's yeah. like I play GTA 5. I do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but I would never do anything in real life that I do in GTA. Of course. I would never. It is like unfathomable that you could go from one to the other seamlessly. It, it, yeah. And it's something that I find really frustrating about the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you, because you have you have instances like, obviously, the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Mm-hmm. You have things like, uh, what's his name? The, the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the West Memphis Three. It's like these situations where just these bizarre perceptions of of counterculture that were tied into into these like horrific things with really no evidence at all no and it's uh, in my opinion almost the strange silver lining of desensitization (laughs) in that like we live in a time where it's like it's not that shocking to hear about we are surrounded by information we are surrounded by things like true crime documentaries and and fictitious violence so it's like we are able to process things better in a strange way, in my mind, am I crazy for thinking that? I I think there's a certain amount of exposure that we've had that previous generations didn't. It's like the spring awakening effect. Okay. It's the it's the anti puritanism when you are engaged in puritanism and you just close yourself off to all of that information. It seems so much more shocking when it happens because it's like you can't process reality because you have been taught that those are things that only exist in the presence of this evil and that thing and it's like if you are not exposed in a healthy way to the realities that we face it's like the biggest uh it's the biggest psa i can give for (laughs) anti-puritanism I, I, I don't know how else to say it. I think Puritanism really is what created the satanic panic. And I think it's what really led to so many problems besides just the things we're talking about here with Richard Ramirez and violence. You're, you're talking about things like how, the, how other things were tied into that. Things like racism, things like homophobia, things mm-hmm. like sexism. All of those things are tied into quote-unquote deviance because of puritanism and so it's like it you know you see it uh, netflix has another really great uh docuseries out right now called the ripper mm-hmm. and it is about um uh jack the, the yorkshire ripper it's not oh, jack it's not the ripper, ripper it's the yorkshire oh, ripper kidding. i haven't watched it sorry my bad no it's okay <laughs> you're fine um, it, it, it was it was in a way no, tied I to that it but in a in a kind of <laughs> well now i want to watch that because i thought it was about jack the ripper and i was like god how many of these are they gonna make <laughs> no it's not about but i yeah. mean without giving too much away i won't give away too many spoilers there are there's a reason it is called the ripper i'm sure yeah um but but it's almost tongue-in-cheek because it's like 
kind of exposing sexism in in the uh, criminal justice arena. Okay. So, again, it's like how these things that affect us day to day as uh, disenfranchised people, uh, not disenfranchised, what's the word I'm looking for? Marginalized. Marginalized people. Um, how we are affected by things in a way that white middle-class America just does not necessarily experience. Does that, am I making too broad a, a generalization? No, I think, I think, no, you're, I think you're good. Yeah. Cause like, cause I mean, a lot of like the satanic panic comes from the concept that people being like, Oh, you know, a good Christian lifestyle would mm-hmm. never lead to something like this. And we have since come to realize that, you know, just being a good Christian does not necessarily mean you are not capable of atrocious things. Yeah. I've got a movie like, called spotlight. You can watch it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the concept of like, you know, like, you know, like, oh, we're perfectly fine leaving our sons with priests, you know. And exactly. Out. Yeah. But that's not always going to be safe, you know, like, you know, or like, or even like you were just mentioning, like with law enforcement, we always kind of like, oh, you know, law enforcement, these are people who serve and protect to then come and find that, you know, not everybody in law enforcement is, you know, a a good, good person, person or uh, good at their job, you know, or uh, interesting in serving and protecting. <laughs> so exactly. Like, and the, the same yeah. thing goes for politicians. It's like, you know, not to, not to go on too big a tirade that no, yeah. deviates. <laughs> so no, strongly, I don't think but... it does deviate though, because like when you talk about something like Richard Ramirez in that time period, like, you know, like he literally used all of the things that we're talking about mm-hmm. as means to create fear in um california like the whole like like you're saying the satanic imagery and like Mm -hmm. you get it so i get it yeah am i am i missing anything did i forget anything i don't think so i can't i can't think of anything we've forgotten about uh about this whole situation um i guess we'll just close up by by saying you definitely should watch um the Night Stalker docuseries on Netflix. It is a really interesting uh, docuseries. And despite the gruesome details of this case, I do think it's one that's important. Uh, It's important that we discuss a case like this because uh, there's a lot to learn from it and there's a lot to uh, take away from it in terms of how we approach criminal justice, how we approach so many other things uh, in life. And, uh, I hope you guys, I hope you guys will watch it and share your thoughts with us because there's so much that this case goes so far that we couldn't possibly talk about the whole thing in an hour and 15 minutes or in an hour and a half. So, uh, please feel free to share your thoughts on it. it. It is obviously one that deserves a lot of, uh, mulling over so (laughs) let us know your thoughts we'd love to hear them you can reach out to us on social media uh my spooky gay family on facebook spooky my spooky gay family on instagram spooky gay fam on twitter or or just send in your thoughts to um spooky gay fam at gmail.com so that's it for us this week we will be back on monday with a new uh mini-sode a mini mini micro-sode on patreon barbara Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Um, and if you'd like to hear our mini-sodes, go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash myspookygayfamily. So uh, until next time, stay spoopy and remember. I'll never forgive him. 
because I can't forget. I live with it every day. Our, our ministry has taught us to look at all the happy memories. We talk about grandma to the kids and to the great grandkids now who never knew her, but they know about her. Yeah, you know, I was kidnapped and horrible things were done to me as a six-year-old when I'm most impressionable. And I'm okay, you know? I grew up, I went to school, I got married, I have a family, you know? I'm not letting that turn me into what he was. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from Night Stalker, distributed by Netflix 2021. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel.